Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. This is Ed from Paranormal Inc. Ohio. We are here doing another podcast episode. Tonight's episode is going to be a very, very good one, guys. I read this and was just like, wow. And I heard about this before. You know, I've known about this case for a long time, but I just read it again after doing the episode on uh, the Son of Sam killer and how demons told him to kill and what have you. Now, this one is just as good. It is just as interesting and just as intriguing. This is The Exorcism of Michael Taylor. So, I'm going to read you this off the research that I found and I wrote down. And again, I'm just reading it as I as I wrote it down and through other people's narratives. So, here we go. Michael Taylor, 31 years old, father to five children and husband to Christine Taylor. It was 1974 and Michael was living what appeared to be an idyllic life. The Taylor family lived in a small home in Osset, West Yorkshire. Neighbors described Michael as mild-mannered and generally kind. Occasionally, Michael Taylor would suffer from depressive episodes. He would become withdrawn and refuse to interact with family and friends. Family would later say a back injury earlier in his life which caused issues with Michael finding full-time employment, was to blame. Nevertheless, Michael was by all accounts a caring father and husband. The Taylor family was not devout. They lived, with a, they lived within a few miles of multiple churches, but never really found the time to attend. In a highly religious town like Osset, this behavior just wouldn't stand. A friend of Michael's, who had decided his depression was caused by spiritual forces, convinced him to start attending a weekly prayer meeting. The group was run by one Mary Robinson. Her soft-spoken form of old-time religion seemed to appeal to Michael. At least that's what everyone thought in the beginning. As time went on, Michael began spending a ludicrously amount of time with Marie. At first, he just threw himself into the prayer group, going to every meeting and all functions. They held. He quickly fell deeper in Marie's teachings. Attending meetings where group members were exercised and demons were cast out with what they called the power of God. Marie began offering private meetings to Michael. During these meetings, Michael and Marie would sit across from each other and make the sign of the cross over and over, sometimes for eight plus hours. They believed that doing this would nullify the evil power of the full moon. To the other members of the prayer group, it was clear that Michael had fallen head over heels in love with Marie. His time away at church and private prayer meetings were starting to be noticed in his home. When he wasn't around Marie, he became withdrawn, slipping into deep depressions. He had become sullen and argumentative and would lash out at his family. Christine had a suspicion that the prayer group wasn't doing Michael any favors and that this private meetings with Marie may have been less than pious. During the next prayer meeting they attended, Christine openly confronted Michael about his time with Marie. Something broke inside of Michael Taylor. He stood up, and instead of addressing his wife, he began to attack Marie, both verbally and physically. He was still shouting at her in tongues. When the rest of the congregation restrained him, later Marie would have this to say, I suddenly glanced at Mike, 
and his whole features changed. He looked almost bestial. He kept looking at me, and there was a really wild look in his eyes. I started screaming at him, out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Mike also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death, and it seemed to come to my senses. I knew that only the name of Jesus would save me, and I just started saying over and over and over again, Jesus. When Christine heard me calling on the name of Jesus, she started saying it too. And I believe firmly that I was only by calling on his name that I was not killed. Michael claimed he had no memory of this happening. At the next meeting, Michael would receive full absolution from Marie. Still, his outburst had not gone unrecognized. People were talking, and none of it was good. A local viker called on a group of ministers and declared that Michael was currently suffering from a demonic possession and would need an exorcism. October 5, 1974, Father Peter Vincent and Reverend Raymond Smith met Michael at the St. Thomas Church in Galbert. The prayer group was also in attendance over the next eight hours. They would perform the sacred rite of exorcism. Michael began thrashing, convulsing, and spitting, and had to be tied to the floor of the church. A crucifix was jammed into his mouth, and he was completely soaked with holy water. At 8 a.m. October 6th, the priests couldn't continue. They were exhausted, and by their admission, had cast out more than 40 demons from Michael. The priest said the exorcism would have to be finished at a later date, and advised Michael not to worry. They had only left but three demons to be exorcised. Murder, madness, and violence. So they left murder, madness, and violence inside this man. Out of all the demons that they got rid of, they left these three inside of him. That just absolutely shocks me. Michael and Christine were told to go home and prepare for part two of the exorcism at 9.45, just an hour and 45 minutes after the exorcism. Police patrolling the area where the Taylors lived discovered a gruesome sight, a man shambling through the streets completely naked and covered with blood. It was, of course, no other than Michael Taylor. The officer that had found Taylor rushed to his home, only to find more police officers were already there. Neighbors had heard noises and the police were called. The officer approached the house but was waved off by an exiting criminal inspector. You don't want to see this one, son. I've seen nothing like it before, and I've seen a few. It's the wife. She's got no... He's ripped. He's ripped at her, son. It's a right mess in there. There's not much of her left. You don't want to see it. After saying this, he doubled over and vomited in the yard. Upon entering the house, officers were met with what some would later call the worst crime scene they've ever worked. Michael had brutally attacked Christine, removing her eyes her tongue, before ripping her face off of her skull. He then strangled the family dog. After the dog was dead, he ripped out its eyes and tore it limb from limb, throwing them around the house. The house was covered wall to ceiling in blood. Michael, who was at the time receiving care in a nearby hospital, was arrested. He never provided a motive for killing Christine beyond. Released, I am released, it is done. The evil in her has been destroyed. So what happened? Was Michael Taylor possessed? The defense didn't think so. He laid blame squarely at the feet of the prayer group 
and the priest who did the exorcism. He stated that the group exacerbated an already cracking mind. He cast doubt on the possession theory by calling it neurotics feeding neurosis to a neurotic. At trial, Michael was acquitted by reason of insanity. He received psychiatric care for four years before being released back into the public. So, this man was, they said, was possessed by over 44 demons. I'm sorry, 43 demons. And they exercised all but three. They left murder, rage, and I. I just, I can't, I, I just can't understand why they would stop there and leave those remaining three inside of this man, knowing that he'd already went off and attacked Marie in such a way, verbally, you know, physically, and and then he let him go home they let him go home to his wife, his kids, and his dog. I just don't... I don't. I, what do you guys think? I mean, would they have left... Should they have let him go by leaving murder, madness, and violence? The three demons that they left inside of him. Murder, madness, and violence. So they let a madman go home with murder and violence and madness inside of him. No, I think they should have did more and they should have casted every demon out before they let him go. Whether or not it be paranormal, whether it were actually be demonic possession or if it's something psychological, if they knew they had an inkling of this man having a psychotic break and they knew he was messed up and by doing this rite of exorcism to him, like I said, I believe in the paranormal. I believe in demons. I believe that they can possess us, they are here to hurt us, they are here to do nothing but destroy us. I do. And I believe that this man could have been demonically possessed. But, on the other hand, I also am open-minded to everything. I'm not closed-minded. If some people think it's science, just like the podcast episode I did with the scientist that battled demons, he would go in and would actually, and he worked with the Catholic Church in Rome and went around the world and around America and would see whether if it was psychoticness or if it was actual demonic possession. So anyway, if, if they believed that this man was having a psychotic break and they did this and they knew that this demonic possession would help him be able to go down the right path to where he wouldn't flip out and hurt somebody, which he already attacked this woman, Marie, physically and verbally, so why on God's green earth would you look at him and go, we got all the demons but three. The only three left are murder, madness, and violence. But don't worry, it's okay. Go home to your wife. But just remember, those murder, madness, and violence is still inside of you. And at 945, we're going to get rid of them. But don't worry, everything is going to be okay. That's a slip-up of the priests. And in my opinion, now this is just my opinion. It doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's just, just my opinion. I think those priests should kind of be held accountable as well for not finishing the right. And and just to turn around and look at this man, whether they thought it was paranormal or they thought it was just him having mental illness, would look at him and say, don't worry, we got them all, but murder, madness, and violence. Those are the only three left in you. So therefore, in a psychotic mind, 
This man thinks that murder, madness, and violence is, is running rampant inside of him. That they have all the power inside of him. And no matter what, he's going to snap. And that's what happened. So, I'm going to leave it up to you guys. To me, I believe the man was demonically possessed. And I believe the demons had taken over. I also believed that the man was mentally ill. Maybe from being broke down by the de- demonic possession, by the demons. And I believe that these ministers did not do their job fully. And an innocent woman and an innocent dog got viciously murdered because of their lack of judgment. But please, guys, let me know here that you can comment on Spotify. And you can go to Paranormal Inc. Ohio on Facebook, TikTok, everything. And you can leave me a comment and talk about this case. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that it was rightfully done? Or did you guys think he was mentally ill? Or was it demonic possession? Let's start a conversation about it, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's episode. I have, I love doing these. I love it. I love you guys oh so very much. I love all the love and support you guys give, you know, me and Paranormal Inc. Ohio. So, guys, thank you oh so very much. And I hope you guys have a great night. You'll hear from me again tomorrow night with another episode, uh, another podcast episode. I'm going to try to continue to look for cases like these and we can talk about these more. So, we'll see what goes on tomorrow night, guys. Tomorrow at 8 p.m. because we're going to be live at 10 p.m. on Facebook tomorrow night. So, I hope you guys have a great evening. Thank you oh so very much for checking out the episode. I love you guys. Bye, everybody.